bad, not too bad at all. Now, I know one very famous lawn, and now I know two. Lawn Gardner, you're aware of Lawn Michaels, aren't you? Lorne Michaels is a Canadian who is the long-term producer of Saturday Night Live in the States. All right. And okay. I, I uh, guess his name has Scottish ancestry. You would like to think so, it must have. Are there many other Lorne's in the west of Scotland whom you know? There's not many of us, I must admit. Um, I don't know where my, uh, the, the background, where my name uh, comes from and why I was christened. Uh, there are two things in Scotland that folk think of. Uh, when they hear lawn, one is the area around Open, which is all that area is all called lawn, sometimes with or without the E. But most Scottish people would think of lawn as a sausage, not a link sausage, but as a flat sausage, kind of unique to Scotland. It's called a lawn sausage. So uh, I've spent my life uh, having uh, my name, so like the sausage or lawn sausage. So I've had a pound for every time someone mentioned sausage after my name. Yes, if you if you did, uh, then you wouldn't have to. Guy. Yes, you wouldn't have to be the Times Scotland sports editor, for which congratulations. That's a good job. Very, very much so. I, uh, I've been in the, uh, that role. Um, started just till end of May, beginning of June uh, this year. Uh, just in time for um, the Euros. I was desperate to get back into uh, sports journalism and um, a sort of senior role on a sports desk because I wanted to be involved in the in the Euros with Scotland not being a major championship for 23 years or whatever it was um, to be um, between jobs when they qualified let's put it that way took a little bit of the edge off it because I was fearful that at the time the competition came around I wouldn't be working in uh, sports journalism so when I when the Times got the job at the Times I was absolutely thrilled and then went through probably the most manic summer mm. uh, I would think I've ever uh, been through in sports journalism if you consider things like uh, the Euros, Wimbledon, Scottish Open Golf, Open Golf, Lions Tour and, um, and Olympics in Tokyo. Uh, yes. And within all that, at some point, the Scottish football season started as well. So it was absolutely bonkers, but it was great to be uh, back involved again at something at that level. And you told me that you've got a day off today, but you're on tomorrow. Are you on tomorrow? Because the sport that um, calls itself um, Scotland being the home of golf... Uh, you got the Ryder Cup this weekend in Wisconsin. Are you on shift for that? Yes, I'll say I'll, I'll say yes. But I, if, I, if I was being totally honest, Johnny, I would say I would rather be off so I can watch every uh, every shot being played. But no, slightly joking there. Yeah, I want to be back when the uh, when the Ryder Cups are on. Although the timings uh, make it very difficult for um, for newspapers because I think I think they're about six hours six or six hours ahead. Yeah, mm. so. Um, so that makes uh, the life of a, of a sports press very tricky about how we accommodate that for the newspaper. But obviously our online product will be absolutely up to speed with everything. That is the gift of on that. And we should say you were at the Mail and the Mail on Sunday for 25 years. So you worked in yeah. the era of copy boys and cigarette filled offices. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I can go back to Copy Boys. I can remember doing uh, shifts at the Edinburgh Evening News. Oh, there was wow. Copy Boys. You could, uh, um, not that I did, but you could smoke at your desk and it was a clatter of typewriters uh, and then work all the way through up now to where digital and online is becoming the priority now. Um, and the newspaper is, I'm not saying secondary, but you are very much focused on your online products and your digital 
uh, performance. Yeah, I, I hope this doesn't prejudice you, but I saw a job for the eye. They're looking for a northern football correspondent. They won't go for me, but... The, the nature of the eye, which is a newish paper that is digital, but also they have a print edition, which the Independent doesn't. I am astonished at how much a Guardian costs nowadays. It is something like two pounds sixty to buy the Guardian. In no universe is that fair, and it's it's because they spent so much money. You may know this on printing presses, something like thirty-four million pounds. That and then they changed the format of the newspaper. So the Guardian, which is online first now. You know, I don't know if you know any of the journalists, but they were virtually at the beginning of the season begging for uh, like for money from the reader. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of this. At the end of every Guardian story, there would be a a message, isn't there? Yeah, it's like Wikipedia. We provide you with this top quality, left leaning journalism. Please pay for it. The Times will never have that problem. Um, I must say that the the only reason I subscribe to the Times online. Is because of the sports, and is it Michael Grant no. who covers um, the Scottish football at the moment still? Michael Grant is our Scottish football correspondent. Then there is Paul Forsyth, uh, Ben Palmer, Mark Palmer, um, Alistair Reid. Mark yeah. and Alistair are over a whole, whole number of sports, but um, it always amazed me because I, I studied at Edinburgh, so I've read the evening news. I may even have seen your byline. It was very, it was popular in pubs um, in Edinburgh. When you read the Times. It is like following the Premier League in a foreign country because that's what it is. The focus was all on when I was there. It was Celtic and Rangers and then the nonsense going on at Hearts with the Romanovs and Stephen Presley leading a strike. So it, when, I, when I had to go in a pub to watch Premier League football, it's like being in Indonesia or Japan because they do put Scottish football first. I didn't get along to Easter Road or Tynecastle often, but I did go to an under-21 Scotland international I remember two things. Barry Bannon being very small. This was about 2010. And Iceland having a really good player whose name I remembered, Gilfie Sigurdsson. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I know. Did they not score a worldly goal that night? Yeah. Sure? Straight from kickoff yeah. almost, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do seem to remember that, yeah. Goalkeeper was off his line. So that's the memory of Scottish football. I spoke to Neil Doherty, who's written a book about 1998. I've spoken to Jackie McNamara, uh, who's got a book out at the moment. I don't know if you've come across Jackie in your work as a player or manager. Um, this is Jackie Junior. Jackie Junior, yes. Yeah, um, I, I, don't, I don't know him at all, really, although he did have a spell as manager at Thistle. Yes. Which is, God, I should really have um, been clearer that because I wanted to get all the uh, politics and business shop talk out the way first, uh, we had to talk about your book, 1971, What a Sensation, uh, which commemorates yes. the events of the 23rd of October, 1971. This will go out just after the golden anniversary of a famous game at Hamden, which ended, what was the scoreline? It was uh, Partick Thistle 4, Celtic 1. As Frank Boff said... Hmm, I'm going to check that. It looks like a, it looks like a mistake. That case, uh, that can't possibly be right. We'll get that checked for you. Although that was at, that was at half time when we were four 0 up. The the closest I think anything's got to that is when North Korea led Portugal three nothing in 1966 mm-hmm. at the World Cup, and uh, Portugal mm-hmm. came back. Eusebio scored four and set one up. But Partick Thistle um, won the Scottish League Cup. Um, against the Celtic team. And we'll talk about that more in the second half. I imagine you're doing a lot of 
work surrounding the book to promote it? Have you got things lined up? I've done a couple of podcasts, um, um, but this is, I've got to admit, I find myself right outside of my comfort zone, Johnny, because I have spent, um, uh, feels like a lifetime, when I was the interviewer, and it's very, uh, it's, it's a strange experience being the interviewee. So, so yes, I'm doing a couple of things, but I'm finding it quite um, quite a daunting experience. I'm not comfortable talking about myself, but I, I, I obviously recognise that to uh, to let people know that the book is out there and that this story has been told at last, um, then I've got to uh, I've got to put myself out there. So um, I've done a few things, done a few podcasts. Um, I'm also going to be writing things for, um, for the Times and what have you. I'm always scared to go on podcasts. Uh, Dave Harris, who runs a, a podcast called Terrace Memoirs, has given me a reciprocal arrangement because I spoke to him. And I don't know, I've only really been following Watford, who are my team, for the last 10 years. Um, so if I'm interviewed, I'd be umming and ahhing. And also, because I've got a production control of this, I can just edit everything I say that is definitely wrong out. Whereas... Uh- um, I, I now understand why Prince and George Michael produced their own stuff because they really wanted the control of it. But what you do as an editor, you are kind of... Well, what are you? What do you compare yourself to? Um, Paul Armstrong, who edited Match of the Day or produced it, called himself the co-pilot. Uh-huh. So are you a co-pilot or a pilot? What's your role? I would, I would say more of the pilot. Um, although I am but a small cog in, 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 a, in a grand machine that you want to get the best journalism and the best writing out there. But an editor has to lead and has to show direction and there has to be a, a plan and you have to, uh, in a way, inspire. Yeah, like a football manager in many respects. You know, you've got all your star players out there who quite rarely will get all the glory. Uh, but you have to manage the team and you have to make the tough calls. You have to make, get the tactics right and you have to pick the team correctly and you have to make sure everyone's pulling in the right direction. So if I was to make a comparison of what a role an editor would be and we keep it in the football sphere, I would say um, I would say you're pretty close to being a team manager. And your own editor, the head of the paper, he's like the chairman and you're answerable to the chairman. Um, so, so I, 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 I'd probably put that analogy, uh, use it that way, and say you know you're like you are like a, a manager of a team. Except, as far as I know, no one has written. Maybe this is another idea. No one has written a book about sports editors. Um, you get journalists writing their memoirs, and Archie McPherson has written his book about broadcasting. Yeah. But I remember going for a job at a well-known right-leaning t- uh, broadsheet, and I met. Um, the chap who was the editor of the sports section who I'd never heard of. And I think I realised in that moment that that's the person you need to impress because he's going to be the one dispatching you and sending you out. It's all very well to be Rafa Hernigstein or Guillaume Balaguet or Julien Laurent or Winter. But the editor is the important figure because also you're overseeing pagination, layout, uh, space, or online you're trying to gather clicks. Which brings the question... How much are you lent on to hit a certain number of subscribers, click-throughs, and all of that? Yeah, I'm kind of new to this role at the Times. Uh, as I said, started the tail end of May, beginning of June. So the, the, I'm getting used to this um, uh, this direction, or going in this direction, that subscriptions are important and they are 
almost now the marker of how successful the the, 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 the Times journalism uh, is. I see any pressure, not, not, not significant pressure at this moment in time, but then I would probably add to that that I am... Um, People are being relatively kind to me at the moment because we're new into the role. The, the, to go back on something you said there about editing, um, I've got friends who who say to me, "Oh, you must you must be a, must be a great job. You must get to so many sporting mm-hmm. events, etc., etc." As a sports editor, you don't get to these events. I'll use as an example the Ryder Cup when I was in Glen Eagles in twenty fourteen. And people were saying to me, oh, are you, are you going to be up at Glen Eagles all the time? No. When these major sport events are on, as like the Glasgow Commonwealth Games of the same year, you are in the office, struggling with pagination, pleading to get more space, more pagination, putting in the long hours. You are at your desk for all that time. You're not as an editor at these wonderful sporting occasions. And that is why... Tarson something he said about uh, sports editors don't write books and sports journalists do. Because sports journalists, um, they go to all these lovely uh, far-off events. And it's and it's hard, hard work. You know, some people, I've heard folk call them, they're in a, a jolly to the Champions League game or a Europa League game. That is really tough, tough work. But they go to there and they see all this and they experience it all. And that's why they are in a good place mm-hmm. to write you know, memoirs, whereas as a sports editor, you know, what am I talk- What would I be telling them about, you know, we got 14 pages today instead of 16 and then they needed 18 and uh, it's, not, it's not the sexy side of the industry, I don't think, uh, and that's probably why many sports editors decide their life isn't interesting enough to write a book about it. Certainly mine isn't. Well, I would love to invite more sports editors into the football library. And it's great that you're here, Lorne Gardner, because I will give you your football library laminated card. Do you want Huey Mack on it or do you want some other Scottish figure? Oh, no, I would take, I would take him and yeah, that would be lovely. Thank yeah. you very much. That is the, the automatic choice for any Scot. I just give them uh, Hugh McIlvain. In the future, yeah. I'm going to give them Paddy Barkley. Did you, you, have you worked on Paddy Barkley's copy or have you worked with Paddy at all? Pleasure, uh, sad to say. Only uh, ask because he's, he's worked for several papers, and obviously uh, he was at the Observer for a long time. Yes, yes. So, but a uh, little before my time of getting to uh, the national newspapers, but I didn't have the pleasure of working or, or indeed meeting either of them. To be perfectly honest. Ah. Well, Paddy was very good. I spoke to him for a long, long time, and I asked him how to make Fitbar great again. Um, I'll ask uh, you first, then I'll give him give you his answer. So, how do you make Scottish football great again? Oh, for heaven's sake, what a question that is. Please use both uh, sides uh, of the paper. You have one hour. We need to get some money into it. Um, we need to somehow sell it uh, and create a better income stream for it that uh, can attract the better players. Although I do think Scottish football's got a bit of a bad rep. I don't think it's as bad as people paint out to be. I'm not for one second saying it's great. But it's not as bad as uh, as it's as it's painted. I I don't think. I, I think it's the lack of investment in the game. I look at how much Sky and whatever put into football south of the border. I'm not saying for one second they should put the equivalent in. But after me, Scottish football just got a bigger slice of the cake. Enable them to, to have bigger budgets for clubs and them to attract better players. Mm. Maybe that would be a start. Well, the answer on the card is that Paddy said, "Make it like Holland and Belgium." There are clubs like Underlecht, Ajax, Feyenoord, who know their place. Um, and 
I, I get in trouble for saying about Celtic that they're no longer where they were, but it's a fact. They aren't Lisbon Lions' quality street gang from the 60s and 70s because there's been an underinvestment. Um, but I went to a game at Rugby Park. It was the most dour game. It was so cold. Uh, this was Alessio when he was manager of Kilmarnock. It was Kilmarnock against... Uh, I don't think it was Partick. But yeah, I, I just... Kirk Broadfoot played... That's how fit bar it was. But um, this week I'm also talking to Michael McEwen. Um, and the... Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Uh, that's the book we're yeah. going to be talking about. Yes. Uh, the Ghosts yeah. of Kathkin. Yes. Yeah. Ghosts of Kathkin Park. I'm reading, I'm reading that book just now. Oh, well, I won't spoil the ending. Okay. <laughs> and, well, as, as you'll find out, Third, third Lanark in 1971 did not exist. They did not. So, would Third Lanark fans have actually gone to Partick and supported Partick? Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, if it was me and my team, I'd have struggled to, to think of another team I would go to. I don't think I'd go to either of the old firm. I don't know where they would have gone to. I would like to think they'd have gone to um, to Thistle as the, uh, because there would have been an affinity there about our... You know, relatively small club in a city that has two giant football teams in it, and therefore there's a there's a strength in numbers there of the, of the, of the little guy trying to fight the big guy. It's a very sad story, Blanick. Oh, it's wretched. And I've already spoken to Michael, and he'll be on later in the week. This is Fitbar Week, um, just because there are three or four discussions with Jackie Junior as well. Uh, I'm so pleased he's because uh, he had an aneurysm and he had a long operation. Um, but he has, he has survived. Uh, a brief word on his time as manager of Jags. Did okay, did fine, Jackie McNamara. Um, um, brought in some decent young players. I would say with seven out of ten, six, seven out of ten for his for his spell there. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did okay. There isn't that much in his memoir about Partick. Some clubs he just he, it's a page and a half. Uh, but he yeah. comes across so well, and I had a lovely chat with him that will be on later in the week. Uh, but I'm starting here because 50 years ago this week, on October 23rd, 1971, Partick won the League Cup. Where do they keep it? Do they keep a replica of it somewhere? Do you know what? That's a very good question. I, suggest, I suspect there is a, 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 a replica of the trophy in the club trophy room, um, which is probably a, 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 you know, a, a room cupboard somewhere, but that's possibly unfair. Uh, maybe in the, uh, there'll be a replica of it in the, uh, in the trophy room within the old stand at Farhill. Well, it'll be next to the 2013 Scottish First Division trophy uh, because Partick went up as champions that year. And in the same year, yep. there'll be a beaten finalist plaque uh, because they were the Challenge Cup beaten finalists. And this team included James Cragan, whom I saw play for Edinburgh University in the Scottish Cup in about 2010, and he was extraordinary. Yeah. Really, really yeah. good young player. I always liked James James Cregan when he was uh, when he was with us. He scored. I'm sure it was James Cregan scored that great goal against Morton when we were pushing for promotion, and uh, there was about nine nine and a half thousand inside Far Hill, and James Cregan scored that goal. He's now playing up at Broth. Who are both being uh, just continually punching above their weight in the championship under Dick Campbell, another former Thistle boss. 
That's very interesting. I'll look out for Arbroath's yeah. results this season. But yeah, JC... Well, Arbroath are, are one of these teams that you just think you should be beating Arbroath every week and, and, and nobody does. And we've already suffered at the hands of Arbroath this season. Uh, so they are uh, they're the kind of the shock troops of the championship and are really punching above their weight. And that's to, uh, that's to their credit and to Dick Campbell's credit. That's smashing as well. That's uh, a story that would be, be like Ibar. Remember when Ibar went up to the Liga? Tiny, tiny little team. Or it's like Accrington being in League One. They shouldn't be there, but they are. Yeah. That's a yeah. book that I'd love to, to read. Uh, I, I have read 1971 What a Sensation, which I should say came out. Uh, as we speak uh, towards the end of September, it is out. Uh, what have the reactions been to the book so far? Well, this is, Johnny, this is a daunting. This is a bit I find really daunting. So when I sat down and uh, decided to write the book and battered away in the keyboard there and everything. It's, it's at this stage when the book is out, when you throw yourself at the feet of public opinion, that gives you uh, butterflies in your stomach. It's a daunting thing. You know, even though I'm involved in newspapers and journalism and, uh, you know, so I don't, my name doesn't appear in the paper <coughs> often at all, but it has on occasion. But when you throw yourself at the feet of public opinion, you are absolutely terrified that people are going to come back and say it's a lot of rubbish. But I've had fairly positive, I've had positive feedback from the people who have read it. I, before I sent away to the publisher, I picked uh, several or eight uh, friends, former colleagues and people whose opinions I trusted and people I trusted to tell me if, you know, Lauren, this is, this is rubbish, you know, put it back in the box. Uh, but they all came back <clears throat> not all Thistle fans, I should say. In fact, only two of them were Thistle fans. And they all came back and they were positive about it and they, they enjoyed reading it. And yeah, so the feedback has been good. We're at a very early stage here. I'm very naive about the whole publishing process uh, because I've never done it before. Uh, but the feedback in general has been has been positive. That's... You tell me, John, you've, you've, uh, you've flicked through the pages of it, I hope. Yes, yeah, so of course I have. And I... <laughs> Always, um, if you're a talk show host, I hear that um, if you haven't read it, you say, oh, it's great. It's good. If you have read it, you go, oh, it's wonderful. What a great read. Uh, but <laughs> which more or less shoots myself in the foot. It's available, I should say, before I do give my reaction to it. Uh, 1499. What a sensation. 50 years on from the day Partick Thistle shocked the world of football to win the uh, Scottish League Cup. Um Book slightly delayed will be available by the end of 2021, published by JMD uh, Media, which is a branch of DB Publishing. Uh, it is yeah. out now. It's on the shelves. It's out to order. You, you, there were pre-orders up, and now it's out. You can get it on their website. I, I think it's great. Thank you so much for writing it, because um, you insert yourself in the story very early on by saying... You were in shock for weeks after being made redundant from your job at the Mail, and you say, the club saved me. So, yeah. fortunately, the prose and the yeah. story um, is great, but it's a necessary book for you. Um, you also dedicate this to Siobhan, Joe, Sam and Eve. Without their support, I'd have given up long ago. Um, yeah. When you are... This is why Brian Glanville's first law of Fleet Street is loyalty is the thing they use to mess you around although he said it a bit worse than that. I'm not going to do the whole how you feel about being made redundant because it's business, chum. It's business. But 
have you now have you, have you made that it's been a year now have you latterly come to that conclusion it's business nothing personal to be honest joy that was uh, it, that I, I recognized that you know pretty soon after it happened that look it's just it's just business this is just what happens it's just numbers and um, you know i won't i won't go here and on here and, and criticize that's not that's not fair it was painful as anybody in any line of work tell you uh, when it happens to them and you don't see it coming, it's incredibly painful. And what I, what I miss is the people that I've worked so long beside. Um, I miss their company and I miss their, the laughs we had with them. Yes, I've come to terms with it. Um, there's no point in, um, to, you know, you've got to move on, pick yourself up off the, off the floor, dust yourself down and, and, and move on. And, the book was a huge part in that process of me being able to to move on because it gave me a purpose, it gave me a project to get my to get my teeth into, and I never for one second thought. I always thought I could write a book at some point, but I never for one second thought I would write this book. But Paul might put the idea in my head. I accidentally he wasn't leading up to me writing the book, but I'd met him. I'd met him for for, for a lunch one day. Hugh McDonald is his name. And he had mentioned how 2021, such a big year for Thistle, centenary of the Scottish Cup, 50th anniversary of the League Cup. And that was pretty much what all we talked about. It. And I was out the next morning walking the dog, and it was as if this green, tiny germ of an idea fell somewhere in my head. And I went, you know what, I'm going to write that book. And that's how it got sad. And it did save me because it gave me a purpose. It gave me something to do over two months while I was deciding what I wanted to do with the rest of my life because I wasn't 100% certain that journalism was going to be the next um, part of my life. So that's that's why I say in the introduction to the book that it saved me because, and I don't use that word lightly, it, it, it genuinely did. Uh, I was at a low point in my life and to deal with these legendary uh, Partick Thistle figures who were also good with their time and also generous in what they were saying and happy to talk and what have you, it was, uh, it was a... From from going at a low, it was a huge um, high in uh, in my life to be able to do this. Yeah, I'll mention that. That made me think of Marvin Sordell, who was told we're going to uh, by Watford in 2011. We're going to have to sell you. He went to Bolton, ruined his career, depression, suicide attempt, had to retire. He's now a poet and a broadcaster, but he was one of Watford's finest footballers of the century, if not the finest. It's when you lose the workplace camaraderie i never lose sight of the fact that it's it's a dream to play football but ultimately it's a workplace and uh so i'm interested about the office work the training ground as an office you've got the senior players the junior players the team manager uh and in the second half we will talk about that great 1971 team um but very quickly to end this first half this squad, yeah. the Partick squad this season, is all Scottish apart from two. There are two Rangers low knees uh, who probably haven't had to move house, Mayo and Hasty. The number nine is a chap called Brian Graham. That's a Scottish name. Manager Ian McCall has been there for a couple of years now. Um, are you yeah. optimistic that Partick will finish, well, mid-table this season? Well, do you know, I was having a conversation with my two sons, Joe and Sam, about what we wanted to achieve this season. Because last last season you were a whole mess of how we ended up in uh, Division One, um, uh, relegated when before the end of the season. Well, the season was stopped. We were relegated 
by arithmetic, basically. Yeah. We didn't look as if we were going to get back up. We had this remarkable uh, uh, sort of late run. Uh, Falkirk imploded. We had this remarkable late run. Here we go, we're up again. Tremendous. I would settle for mid-table obscurity this season, to be perfectly honest. My two sons think we could get a playoff, so top four. And we probably could get top four. If we get top four, that'd be great. But I just want us to maybe have a, a season of um, rebuilding and uh, they have ambitions of a playoff. Playoff's pretty tough. We get the fourth place in the playoff. It's not an easy uh, it's not an easy thing to do, but here we go. I think I'll answer for mid-table. If I could get top four, that'd be great. I hope so. <laughs> that, that was... Um... That's what Watford dream of nowadays, mid-table mediocrity. Um, so I'm with Lorne Gardner, who has written the book 1971, What a Sensation, and it was. Uh, Partick Thistle won the Scottish League Cup, beating Glasgow Celtic, who were in their eighth League Cup final in a row. Um, and I imagine on this date 50 years ago, as this goes out on the 25th of October... Jags fans were getting over the hangover to end all hangovers. Of the people, Lorne, you sp- um, that you know who were at that game at Hamden, are their memories crystal clear or are they clouded somewhat by, I don't know, lawn sausages? Uh, we have had a power cut in the middle of a show before. Um, I want to leave that in the audio just because, do you know who would have been grateful for a power cut at half time? Uh, probably Jockstein. <laughs> Yes, because Partick Thistle, uh, and it says here, Partick Thistle were 4-0 up, 4-0 up in the League Cup final uh, on the 23rd of October 1971, which is, this goes out uh, two days before. So the Partick fans would have been supremely hungover. Uh, Do you know many people? Is it like the Sex Pistols gig? There are, if any, if everyone who claimed to have been there was actually there, it would have been full five times to capacity. Yeah, it would have been like um, the the Real Madrid game in the in the yeah, was it nineteen sixty? Yeah. Real Madrid, I think, for, for, I think every Scottish football fan was at that game because everybody says they were at that game. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, you say in the introduction you want to tell the human stories, so you end the book with all these human stories. But 
I've, the wonderful thing about books like this or football matches like this is that you go into the game. My favourite pastime is to go to a non-league game and have my own favourite player. For, for instance, I went to St Albans City a few years ago. There was this player playing called Sam Higgins. And all we knew about him is that he was not as good as he used to be. And, uh, and I'll never forget Sam Higgins' name. Uh, but some of these players that you describe who uh, have the winner's medals still... Uh, did did you see any of these winners' medals? Did they show them to you? Oh, but this is this is a good key point to raise here. I never met any of them. I did interviews during lockdown, so you are unable to go and see anybody. Uh, so you're talking about January, February this year. So lockdown, as much as it was a pain in the backside for everybody, it meant everybody, you know, all the guys, the players, picked up the phone. Because you couldn't go anywhere. It wasn't as if they said, oh, I can't do it tonight. Today, son, I'm playing golf or I'm away on holiday or whatever. They weren't going anywhere because you couldn't do anything. So uh, Dennis McQuaid, who scored one of the goals that day, is a, is a pal of mine anyway. Dennis and I played golf many times. Uh, so Dennis and uh, is one I have met, but I never met any of them. I hope to meet them over the next weeks and whatever. Yeah. But I never actually sat down with any of them. The interviews were all done. Uh, at length over, over, over the phone. Oh, it's is such a shame. But we speak um, a month before, in fact, exactly a month before, I forgot to look at the closest home game to the anniversary. Yeah, I think it's Dunfermline. Ooh. Previous weekend, I think there's a home game then. Fab. So if, I'm sure there'll be a fan campaign, but uh, Jerry Britton comes across very well in the introduction because he says, yeah, 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 we support what you do. Great guy, Jerry, in the club. I don't want to speak for the club because I'm not involved in this, uh, the organising of any of this. But they have got uh, many things planned to mark the occasion. So I, I know in the build-up to, to the 23rd of October um, and around that time, I know the club is planning a number of things. I will have kept my eyes no. on social media. Um, I feel yeah. like I feel like a sports journalist myself because I'm recording this a month before. It'll go out. Fortunately, I don't have to do any god-awful transcription, which is the bane of the sports uh, journalist life. I remember Patrick Hennessy, who was a war, uh, a soldier who's become a journalist uh, and writer. He said there are two states of being a soldier, complete inaction and fight to the death. I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but it's true. Whereas uh, with an editor, you have the uh, pagination meetings. I've seen the September issue and uh, the devil wears Prada. So you mock up the pages. And then of course, yeah. if you've got like a horrible death from dementia, you have to hold the pages for that. Uh, the Times have already gone big on the Ryder Cup because it is the Olympics of golf. Uh, Matthew yes, Syed's... Do you read Matthew Syed? Yes. Was it yesterday about his uh, feelings about uh, American supporters yes. or American fans? And yeah. my, I'm a fan, my brother's a fan, and he sent, Rich sent me a message saying, I can't help but wonder, this is classic Syed. I went, yeah, it's Syedese. When you yeah. write for so long, it's like Henry Winter with his god-awful puns that... Uh, and <laughs> Bless Henry Winter. I think the times are the best. Uh, although the male come a close second. So uh, 